Good evening, everyone, um, and welcome to tonight's Friday night Bible study, which is provided to you by the North England Conference Youth Department. We're very grateful for all of the programs that have been put on so far, the Real Talks, the Tuesday Health and Wellness Sessions, the Thursday Book Club, which has been looking at the um, A Thousand Shall Fall, and tonight we're talking in our Bible study, we've got a great panel um, that will be discussing Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13. On the panel tonight, we've got Pastor Douglas Naa, we've got Lydia Scott, we've got Tashana Samuels, and we've got Wilson Mazaiwana. I'm just going to hand over to you, or maybe start with Wilson. Um, just say who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll go through. And then Pastor Douglas will pray for us. Okay. Hello, guys. Uh, my name is Wilson Mazaiwana, as Craig said. Uh, I am from, uh, I live in Lancaster. I go to Preston SDA Church uh, in the northwest of England, and uh, I am a software developer by profession. Uh, so I'm into software developing. Hi, I'm Olivia. Um, I'm from Birmingham, but I study currently at Cardiff Uni, and I'm a third-year medical student. Hi, my name is Shana. I'm from Yardley Church. I live in Birmingham and I'm a theatre nurse. Hello, uh, my name is Douglas and I'm from, uh, I'm currently based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, just overseeing the uh, It Is Written School of Evangelism here in partnership with Southern Adventist University. So um, should we have a word of prayer? Yes, please. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we thank you once again that we could be on this digital platform. No matter where we are on this planet, we thank you that through these means, we can uh, worship you and we could study your word. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. So as we were delving tonight, we're looking at Daniel 7 and then Revelation chapter 13, and we've seen how um, those two books of prophecy, namely dealing with those chapters, how they, they correlate with each other and what it all means. Now, you know, when we go over to the, the book of Daniel, uh, you know, we, we often hear about Daniel chapter two, there's Daniel three with the image, but then we get to Daniel seven and then suddenly there's, there's all of these beasts and what they'll represent. And the, I mean, the opening verse, it says in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Babylon had, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now he starts by speaking about, he saw this vision um, and he sees these four winds of heaven striving on the, upon the great sea. And then all of these beasts start coming up. From your study of Daniel 7, maybe, I mean, the first question is what's actually happening? What, what's taking place here in this book? Okay, so we, in Daniel chapter 7, we have Daniel, he's having another vision, um, and you've got these four beasts, um, and Daniel 7 is a play on from Daniel chapter 2, which you mentioned, Craig, and in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream that he couldn't quite remember, that um, Daniel had to um, basically explain what this dream was, and in the image you had this millennial man, a statue, so you had the head of God. You had um, the breast and the arms of silver. You had um, the 
belly and the thighs of brass and then the leg of iron um, and the feet of iron and clay. So basically Daniel chapter seven is giving us a, a broader insight into what Daniel kind of mentioned in chapter two. Um, and so these are basically the same kingdoms that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of and Daniel's um, in vision um, talking about these kingdoms. So that's what's kind of happening in Daniel chapter seven. Okay, okay, excellent. Just kind of going something... along with it, uh, Daniel chapter seven is an amplification of Daniel chapter two. Uh, we see here a very important biblical principle in understanding scripture. And that principle is called repeat and enlarge. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so we see here an enlargement and amplification of Daniel chapter two. But now it's uh, zooming in and focusing on the fourth beast. Um, and so, and it's becoming more detailed. Uh, now this fourth beast is more, uh, it's, it's more explained in detail. Whereas in Daniel chapter two, it was, it was more vague, more general, but now we're zooming in. Uh, it's, it's like having a camera, you're zooming in on the, you're zooming in on the target. And now we see 10 horns. And then there's an explanation of the 10 horns. And then, and then there's an amplification, a repeat and enlarge of those 10 horns. Then in the midst of those 10 horns, we see this, this one horn that just, that just grows. And it's like the, it's like the Bible is saying, focus on this little horn, you know? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, 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 and it's very interesting that the timing uh, of, of the rise of this little horn uh, it's, 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 it's almost parallel with a judgment. And so now we're zooming in even, even more closer and closer uh, in Daniel chapter seven in comparison to Daniel chapter two. And so this principle of repeat and enlarge is replete throughout scripture. And I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a method of interpretation that, that, that's, that, that helps us unlock um, certain biblical interpretation. Then when we get to Revelation chapter 13, a revelation is again is is an amplification of, of Daniel chapter seven, and we see things that are repeated in Revelation chapter thirteen, though not in the same symbols, using the same symbols, but but it's it's actually explaining the same thing, uh, if that makes sense. So that's just a kind of broad stroke of of what we see here in Daniel chapter seven. Thank you, thank you, Wilson. You were going to say something as well. Yes, uh, something I see in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, where it says, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. So here you see four winds. Winds are usually associated with strife and uh, with uh, not with peace or, or, or calm in any way, but, you know, with, with something that is, you could say, violent or troublous, troublous times. And here you see where it says that the wind strove upon the great sea. Now from Revelation chapter 17, we get uh, that when, when it's talking about the sea or the multitudes of waters is referring to many people. So here you can see that uh, the wind was striving on the great sea, meaning that you know the trouble or the issues which were happening were happening among where there were many people, uh, the strife that was happening as well. And I think uh, it, that's how it starts on it, and then it brings brings up the beasts on there. And I think it's important just to note that. I think also another thing is that Daniel is not um, Daniel didn't conjure up these ideas by himself. He didn't sit down in his bed and think, "What can I make up for my people in the future?" It was God awakening 
Daniel to what he wanted to tell him. And it wasn't about what he was going through presently. It was about the future. It was about currently what he's in and also the future. So God, you see that God is concerned about the future of his people and not just simply in regards to the children of Israel, but also about the future generation that even extend beyond our time. So we can see this in the book of Daniel that God is given a vision um, that extend beyond Daniel's time span. Mm, mm. Okay, excellent. So, you know, you, it jumps straight into talking about beasts. Why are we, we seeing beasts suddenly being used? Um, Pastor Doug, you, you mentioned that there's this repeating and enlarging um, with the, the repeating and enlarging and then the zooming in, when we look at Daniel chapter two, there's an image uh, with, you know, different materials. So you've got the gold, you've got the, you know, the, the silver, the brass, the, the, the iron, the iron mixed with the miry clay. But then as we get to Daniel seven, suddenly there's beasts. Why, why did God choose to use beasts to start representing what we understand to be kingdoms? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there could be a number of reasons. Uh, again, um, beasts, beasts could, uh, the nature of that beast could symbolize the nature of that particular kingdom. Um, uh, for example, you think, of, you think of a lion, you know, you think of a lion, the nature of a lion uh, representing the, uh, the kingdom of, I, I believe, Babylon. You know, it's, it's, Babylon was at the peak of, uh, you know, the peak of its history. And so, um, and so it, you know, it was a dominant, it was a dominant kingdom. And so it, it, God didn't just like, God didn't just like say, hey, I'm just gonna use a leopard. You know, I'm just, I'm just no, 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 no. Uh, study the nature of that, of that particular animal. What's very interesting is that all of these animals are unclean animals, you know, uh, uh, to, yeah. to symbolize a pagan or heathen kingdoms. God didn't use a lamb, you know, God used, you know, God used a lion, God used a leopard, God used a bear. Very, that's that's a very uh, interesting note to, to to hone in on, and then and then when we come to the fourth beast, um, we see an amalgamation. It doesn't have a name, you know. It's just terrible, uh, you know. And so this this beast is is unique and different from the from the previous beasts. And so just the fact that it chooses a particular beast uh, by understanding the nature of that beast, um, for example, a leopard symbolizes swiftness. I mean, it's one of the fastest animals in the animal kingdom. And so that symbolizes a kingdom that's going to dominate uh, the, the then known world with, with, with quickness and with swiftness. Uh, and so, and so that's, that's one of the reasons why um, there's specificity in the, you know, in, in, the, in the choosing of, of, of those animals. It's not vague, it's not general. Speaking of being vague and general, there is no guessing as to who these beasts are. You know, there is no guessing. Mm -hmm. The Bible is absolutely clear. If we, if we remember 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, we use that principle. The, the principle of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 reminds us is that the Bible is its own interpreter. And so this is one of the, this is one of the differences between uh, the prophecies in Scripture versus the prophecies of a false prophet. Let, let's just use an example of, say, Nostradamus. 
when you study the prophecies of Nostradamus, it's very vague. It's very general. It could mean 9-11. It could mean this. It could mean that. It could mean that. Not so with the word of God. With the word of God, you know, identifying a prophecy is very specific and it's very precise. There is no wriggle room. I mean, when, when you talk about the prophecies of Jesus, the son of God, the Bible says, the Bible, the Bible specifically mentions the town, you know, the gender, you know, what, you know, what he's going to, I mean, like there, there's absolutely no wriggle room. So there's no mistake on, on who Jesus, the son of God is going to be and when he's going to be here on planet earth. And the same thing, same thing with these, with these beast powers, we don't have to guess who they are if we just allow the Bible to interpret itself. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, sorry, go ahead, Tishana. I think the, um, if we understand who God is, we know that he's acquainted with the nature of these kingdoms. Um, so when he's talking about them, he's talking about something that he knows about them. And therefore, when you talk about the lion, he's talking about there is something about Babylon that I want to bring to view in this. And one of them is the fact of the speed, not the speed, yeah, in which it travels and also the power in which it, it, it uses or it enforces. So when God is trying to use, when God is doing these things, He's trying to communicate to the reader, listen up. I'm trying to tell you something about the nature of the kingdom that you're, that you're dealing with so that when you actually encounter this kingdom, don't be surprised because I am actually giving you an insight. And I remember um, John 14, 29, it says, I have told you these things um, before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you may believe and in another area, it says that I am E, that I am the self-existing one, that I am, that I, I exist throughout, I'm not restricted by time. So when I'm telling you these things, take note. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So what, what we see, um, there's, a, there's a, an element of urgency that we're seeing in, in Daniel 7. And I think we also see in Revelation chapter 13, but then we, we start talking about the descriptions. So we've mentioned, you know, the leopard, it's also got these wings. Um, but when we, we look down and we see that Babylon's represented by a lion, but we, we read in Daniel seven that this lion's made to stand on its two feet and then a heart of a man's given to it. Um, there's a bear representing the Medes and the Persians on one side, it's got three ribs in its mouth. Um, You've got this leopard that's, you know, we understand it's fast, but there's wings given to it, which, which shows its rapidity, as well as four other heads. And then, as you mentioned, Pastor Doug, this terrible beast that comes up, iron teeth, um, devours. Why, what do these descriptions mean? Let's start with Babylon. We go through down to the terrible beast. Why the descriptions? Um, I just wanted to mention something on the previous point, though, if that's okay, Craig, just quickly. Mm -hmm. um, the, I think one of the reasons why animals are used here is also because God understands the human mind more than we do ourselves. 
One, one reason I see here, I remember when I was in Zimbabwe, when I was in primary school, you know, the, when you did, the, let's say, athletics competitions, you had these groups, what you call houses or something, uh, whereby each house was represented by an animal. And you always wanted to bring out the best out of that animal by you competing the best, you know, at school. And I remember when you're into school competitions, you know, another school maybe represented a zebra, zebra, another, another school represented it. Well, their mascot was a tiger. And then another school had uh, maybe the mascot as a lion. And then you wanted to bring out the best of that. And so it's other schools, you know, they would sing out loudly what their mascot was saying, you know, our mascot is stronger. And you also get, even in other cultures, people will say their totem is an animal totem. Mm -hmm. So to say, okay, uh, my totem is a lion. Someone will say, oh, my totem is a monkey or my totem is um, a giraffe and stuff like that. So we understand a lot about animals as human beings to the point that even in the Bible, you know, when it talks about Samson being strong, that, you know, he what? He ripped the what? Mouth of a what? Of a lion. That means, that means he was a very strong person. Daniel, sorry, David killed a lion. And the fact that he killed the lion is different from David going to kill a lamb. So the use of animals, I believe, is to point out more exactly uh, so that we can fully understand uh, the nature of these uh, entities which are being talked about in the book of Daniel. So okay. Understanding. Okay, okay, thanks Wilson. So now we're talking about why the descriptions then? So we understand the point about the animals, but why the descriptions now? Lion standing on two feet, heart of a man given to it, bear raised on one side, ribs in its mouth, um, and the ribs speaking to it. Go ahead, conquer the, you know, what's this all about? What's happening here? I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go partly on the first one. So today, today we say, and I think probably long ago as well, we say lion is, as, as, a king of the, as a king of the jungle. So of the animals which are mentioned, you know, which have been named, you know, one would say the lion is the strongest which concurs with what happens in Daniel chapter two, whereby the head of gold is the most precious metal. So it is well fitting to give that, you know, to, to say Babylon is, would be a lion in that, in, on the animals that are given on there. Mm -hmm. but then, yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. Olivia. I was just gonna say that Babylon has been referred to a lion before. So I was looking earlier, and um, I think it's in Jeremiah, I've written it down somewhere, Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 17, and it talks about how Babylon is referred to a lion. So I think what God does very well in the Bible is he'll use things that we've seen before so that it makes it even more clear. So we not only do we have the Daniel chapter 2 and the millennial man, as Wilson was saying, in terms of we've got the superior metal, we've got that gold, and we know how like expansive King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was we've also got the nuggets within the bible as well where okay i referred to this kingdom using this animal before so this should just be a reminder this isn't something new which i like what um pastor douglas was saying earlier about that repeat and enlarge principle i think that daniel seven does that very very well mm, mm, 
I think uh, the, more the more specific descriptions we have of this lion, uh, the more specificity we have in identifying who this lion is in history. I mean, God could have just said a lion, but he went more than, I mean, he, he, he went more specific than that. I mean, this lion you know, had wings, um, you know, and this lion had um, a man's heart was given to it. So it's, it's kind of like um, if I were to use a modern day parallel, uh, parable, it's kind of like if I were to say to you, hey, uh, there's this criminal out there, um, he's six feet. But you know what, there's probably thousands of six feet people, you know, but then I'm going to be more specific. It's like, hey, he's six feet and he's wearing a red shirt. Well, you got to be a little uh, bit more specific than that. Well, uh, he's six feet, red shirt, and he's got black hair, you know, and, and so the more description I give, the more specific, the, the, the more it helps me to identify who this person is. If I just say to you like, hey, there's this guy out there, uh, there's this criminal out there, he's just six feet. Well, come on, give me more than just six feet, you know, um, give me more than that. And so again, just adding to the specificity of this, God gives us uh, a lot of these descriptions so that there's no wriggle room, so that, so that there's no guessing, you know, um, who, who this beast power is. And so the more description we have, the better at us. And so at the end of the day, God does not want us to be lost. You know, if I were to give you, if I were to give you a map to my home, um, I, I could be very general and say, hey, look, just take the right, just take us the right, make a left here, uh, you get in my house. But look, the more, the more details I give you and how to get to my house, I want to make, I want to be absolutely sure that you're not lost. Yeah. You want to pass yeah. by a red car on the right hand side. After the red car, you're going to see this white fence. After this white fence, you're going to see this bicycle. The more, this, the more description I give you, on how to get to my house, the better it is for you not to be lost. Uh, uh. And so, and so that's that's the reason why we have we have these these descriptions in prophecy is because God doesn't want us to be lost in who and how to identify who this beast power is. Thank you, thank you. So, you know, as we I'll come to you in a moment, Tashana. The what we see is you know Daniel two. Daniel spoke about this head of gold, and he told Nebuchadnezzar, "You are." the head of gold, um, straightforward, no messing around. But then he said, but a kingdom inferior to you will, will take over. And then as we zoom over to Daniel 7, we read that, I'm guessing, you know, the description of Babylon before it's standing up on the two feet and the heart of a man's given to it. There's these wings, it's ferocious, it's conquering. Um, and maybe God showing in Daniel 7, herein lies the reason why an inferior kingdom could take over because Babylon became weak in its state. And, um, you know, we read some of that story with Belshazzar in Daniel um, chapter five and what's happening there. So as we, we start going through, then we get to the Medes and the Persians, there's a bear raised up on one side. Why is it raised up on one side? Um, well, well, the reason why it's raised up on one side because it's a coalition of, uh, of the Medes and the Persians. So the Medes come, in, come into ruling first, and then the Persians rule for 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 the, for the rest of the um, for the rest of the time of the kingdom. So the bear being raised on one side, one side raised. Uh, that's uh, that's the stronger one. That's the stronger uh, uh, one of the two. So and that's mm -hmm. the Persian, that's the Persians as far as I know. And then the Medes um, are, are the weaker ones. Who will rule first up to I think 522 AD. And the ribs that you find in the well, in, 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 in the bear's mouth, I believe that's, uh, 
that's uh, Lydia and Egypt and Babylon, the ones which have been conquered by the Medes and the Persians at that time um, when they were conquered. Um, okay. I wanted to talk about the fact that these kingdoms go through a transition and what you find in, in the, in, with, the, with the lion is that it goes through a transition and we don't need to guess about it or even go to secular sources as much to find out. The book of Daniel gives you that description even in Daniel chapter five, where you see that um, Nebuchadnezzar goes through a change of heart. He was this ferocious um, animal, <laughs> but it actually says um, it goes through this process where a man's heart is given to it. So it actually calms down from being such lion-like person to actually being like a human being. Um, and if you look at historical documents, you could see they were very barbaric in, in, the, in their approach to conquering places, um, that they were feared so much. And with, with you see the, the three ribs in its mouth, in, in the bear's mouth, you see that it's going through a transition where it's actually conquering. So, and also with the leopard, you could see the vastness by which it go because um, you, you talk about Alexander the Great because that's what the kingdom represents. You see that he was going so fast that at the age of um, early thirties, he had conquered so such a vast area that he didn't have anything else to do, that he actually drank himself death to death. So you find that these kingdoms, God is describing a transition that is going through these kingdoms by the descriptions that it's using, that you see them changing a little bit, changing. Mm. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so we, you know, there was the explanation for the bear, but what are the four heads on the leopard? So the four head, um, as we understand, is the four generals, Alexander the Great, four generals. And what you find is that um, Alexander the Great didn't have any kids to give his kingdom to. So it had to be split between his four generals and their names are Lysimachus, Ptolemy, um, Seleucus, and Cassander. Um, and you find that these, these four generals took the kingdom. And that's why also you see the transition. It didn't have the same strength that it did before because there were wars going on between these different generals. So that's just a, of what I understand. Okay, so, you know, there's these four generals. History itself, when you start looking at some maps, you can see that the area that they were controlling, um, their names, you had the kingdom of Ptolemy, etc., that was there. So history itself also proves as to what we see happening and the power with, with, um, with God, with what he's showing here is you take from what he um, did with Daniel in chapter two, it's not because Daniel's got any wisdom in and of himself. Daniel's sharing this information for the saving of people, for individuals to see through prophecy 
that the, the, the intents of their hearts can be revealed and they gain an understanding of the great God who's able to tell us things before it takes place. Um, so we see that there's, you know, the four generals, but then this messed up, terrible kingdom with iron teeth that's just, as, it, as it's described, terrible. What's this kingdom? Who, what's this all about? What's happening there? This kingdom is a, um, I think that this kingdom is probably more dangerous than the previous three kingdoms. Because um, look, each, the previous three kingdoms were unique in and of them own selves. I mean, you have a lion, that's not a leopard, it's just a lion. You have a leopard, that's not a lion, it's just a leopard. Then you have a bear, that's just a bear, but it's not a leopard nor a lion. And so, but then you have this fourth beast, which is more dangerous than the first three previous beasts, because this fourth beast has a bit of the three previous beasts. Mm. It's an amalgamation. That's what makes it dangerous, you know, because this fourth beast has a little bit of a, has a little bit of uh, the nature of the lion. It has a little bit of the nature of the bear, and it is a little bit of the nature of the leopard. It has a, a little bit of all three. Uh, whereas the three, the three previous ones, they were, they were just categorized. The leopard is a leopard, but it's not a lion. It's just a leopard. The leopard is a leopard, but it's not a bear. But this fourth beast is an amalgamation of all the three previous beasts. That's the reason why we can give a name for a leopard because it's a leopard. We can give a name for a lion because it's a lion, but we can't give a name for this fourth beast because it has a, it, it has a little bit of all three. What do you give it? You don't give it a name. And so I think that this fourth beast is more dangerous, um, you know, uh, because you can't identify it. It has, uh, it has the teachings, the traditions, and the habits and the methods uh, of all the three previous, and the philosophy of the, of, of the uh, three previous beasts. Okay, excellent. I think Thank you. you also Shana. see, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm using, in music, not that I'm a musician or anything, but in music, you find that when a beat is repeated, I think it's called a crescendo, where um, God gives like a verse for that, the, the, um, the lion a verse, for the bear a verse. But in describing this beast, more text is used for this. Um, it, it, it's like God is, is like, when Daniel looked, he was like, oh, that looks like a bear. Oh, that looks like this, that looks like that. But then to look in the animal world to try and find something that looks like this, he's like, I can't. I can't find anything that looks like it. So the only thing that he can use to describe it is that it's a terrible beast. It's horrible. It's ugly. I don't have anything that has come previously that I can use to describe the nature of this kingdom because it's take on a characteristics that is different from any other nations that has come up. What's, what's just, building, just building on that is that once we get to the fourth beast, we see more of a, we see more of a description. Uh, Daniel gives more of a, takes more time and more words and more verses to describe this fourth beast uh, than, than, the, than the previous three. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's, 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 it's almost parallel to Genesis chapter 1. You see in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, when, when, the, when, when Moses wrote Genesis chapter 1, he doesn't give much description on how God created day 1, day 2, day 3. I mean, this is like God created light, boom, we have it. The second day, boom, we have it. But then when we come to the entering in of sin, it's like, it's like Moses takes, more, takes, takes a chapter or two. There's more description on, on, on how, how, how sin came into, came into earth. So he, he describes it because it's like Moses saying, look, yes, God created day one, day two, but I want you to focus in on this. Notice how sin entered into the world. Now, if I were to use a parallel, uh, it's like kind of like watching a movie. It's kind of you, you're watching a movie, but then when you come to what really matters, the director says, okay, now, now, now let's go slow motion on this part. You know, I want the okay, viewers okay. To, to really get this, this slow motion part right here. I don't want anything missed out. It's kind of the same thing. We have first beast, second beast, third beast, but then when it comes to the fourth beast, it's like Daniel says, now let's, let's pull in slow motion. You know what I mean? Let's, I, I want to draw this thing out. You know, it's the same thing as Genesis chapter three. Moses draws this thing out, you know, because he wants it to be absolutely sure that it was Lucifer that, that injected sin into this earth and not God. And, and the same thing we see here, we see a bit of a slow motion. Let's take our time on this one. Let's not rush here. I want you to be absolutely sure what's happening here. And, uh, and then again, when we jump over to, Revela to Revelation, we've got a whole chapter where, where God puts it on slow motion, you know, um, so that we're specific, where it's more specific and more detailed on the nature of this beast, what this beast has done, what this beast is doing, and what this beast will do. Mm, mm, mm. You know, I, I love the, the way that you describe that, Pastor Doug, in that Daniel's spending more time focusing, zooming in, um, detailing everything. And, you know, as I'm looking through the, the verses, when he's explaining the first three beasts, he's simply just, it starts by saying he had these, these visions of the night on his bed. But when he goes into describing the fourth beast, verse seven, he says, after this, I saw in the night visions. So he's, he's, he's describing it again. It's like there's more that's being given to him to describe what's, what's about to take place with this fourth beast. Dreadful, terrible, strong, exceedingly. Um, great iron teeth devours, breaks in pieces, stamps the residue with the feet of it. Um, diverse from all the beasts that were before it. It has ten horns. And then there's this considering. So as Daniel seen this beast, when he sees the horns, he starts considering, he's looking at it. His, there's like some admiration that he has with what's taking place there. And um, behold, there comes up among them another little horn. And then by this little horn, three of those other horns are plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So why the horns? I mean, it's gone from a beast to the horns. Why? Well... Daniel doesn't um God basically reveals to Daniel that each of the horns represent kings right so we've got this beast which represents kingdoms but I think what's different about this final beast is that we're talking about the European empire so 
from the Roman Empire, we've got this split into the two feet or the ten toes, which represents the ten horns. So it's slightly different, whereas before we're going from one kingdom to another kingdom, I think with the fourth piece is slightly different. The time period is different. So we're going from the Roman Empire, which is splitting into ten, and then you have the barbarian tribes. So they're all very similar. Um, but they're just in different locations. I think what I like about what God talks about in Daniel, um, in terms of the ten horns, he makes it very clear. He says that the little horn comes up from among the ten, which I think was significant to note was because a lot of people would say, oh, this is the little horn here in Asia or a different continent. But God kind of gives us a geographical location um, when we use prophecy and to kind of figure out what we're working with and who we're talking about. So that's my understanding of like this part of Daniel chapter seven. And that is, we're talking about Europe here. We're not talking about another part of the world. We're talking about specifically Europe. What happened after the fall of the Roman empire, we had the 10 barbarian tribes and three of them, three of the horns or three of the kings were subdued. So the little horn subdued these three, um, three kings or three barbarian tribes and what power or entity did that? And the only one, the only one is the papacy. So to me, that kind of makes sense. Mm. It's as if God's leaving. There's, he's making sure that there's no doubt as to, as to who this is. Um, mm. You know, through history, you can study those three horns that were plugged up. We've got the Harulai, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths that are just taken out of the way. But why were they taken up? What, what made you know, this little horn so antagonistic towards them. What, what was happening there? I think part of the issue, part of the issue was, um, was that the, some of these, uh, some of these uh, horns had a different kind of belief from, from uh, what uh, the little horn had. So they believed in um, Arianism, which, which uh, the, the, the little horn um, did not uh, fully subscribe to. I believe that, that, is one, uh, that is one of the reasons. So between uh, AD 476, I believe, mm -hmm. um, up to uh, 538, the, 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 the three are, are uprooted um, at that point. They might, there might be other reasons, but I believe definitely that's one of one of the other reasons why those are uprooted. So then that would make then that these little horns are religious political power because the reason that you've just mentioned Arianism, they're, they're religious issues. Exactly. So exactly. So it's a religious political uh, um, power that's that's there. It's quite powerful in and of it. Well, by itself, anyway. Anybody else? It's interesting that uh, the way that this little horn is described, it's described in a way where it's not, it's not described in a way where it's described in a vacuum. Um, it's described in a way that its nature and its temperament will affect God's people. Uh, and so we've got to remember that, that, that this prophecy is not just, it's not just something aloof like, well, okay, we know who it is. Yeah, the reason why God identifies these beast powers in these little horns, notice how, notice how these prophecies affect God's righteous people. 
um, it, it has a bearing on God's righteous on God's God's people. And so, uh, uh, one of the one of the interesting uh, facts about this little horn power is that it speaks great things. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll speak blasphemies. Um, it'll persecute God's people. So, so again, these prophecies have an effect spiritually on God's people. And, uh, and we can look at that historically and we can say, once we get to the book of Revelation chapter 13 and identifying uh, who this beast power is, it's not just identifying and saying, yeah, this is who the beast power is. But at the end of the day, this beast power will have some sort of effect on you uh, and how you worship and how I worship. And that's where, that's where prophecy, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when it gets okay. practical. So these prophecies are not just identified in a vacuum and we can just sit back and say, okay, no, it's good. No, no, guess what? It's gonna affect you and it's gonna affect me. It has in the past, it will, it, it's doing it right now and it will in the future. Mm. Uh, uh, uh. Um, and I guess, oh, Karen, sorry. No, I was just going to say, and to add to that, one thing that I've realized when it comes to prophecy, we can get very excited about knowing, like, like you said, Pastor Doug, who the people are or what the systems are, and get excited in all the signs and symbols. But what we often forget, what I often forget, is at the end of Daniel chapter two, at the end of Daniel chapter seven, God's setting up and establishing his kingdom, which is never going to fall. So I think that's one thing that we have to make sure that we continue to like talk about is that although we've got these kingdoms and they will affect us, God is also giving us hope as well. So he's making us know what's going to happen and that, you know, you're going to be in trouble. But at the end of the day, my kingdom is going to be set up at the end and I'm going to reign forever. So although you've got these problems and these challenges, at the end of the day, I'm in control. So I think that's also nice to know in terms of these prophecies. It's not just about what's to come in terms of the physical powers, but it's also about God saying, you know what, I am actually coming back. And when I come back, that's it. So I like that part as well. Um, I wanted okay. to emphasize also the, the, when you ask the question, where is God's people in, in all of this? Where were they at the time when Babylon was ruling? And they were in captivity in Babylon. Where was God's people in Medo-Persia? They were in captivity <laughs> under those rulership. Where was God's people in Alexander the Great time? Where were God's people now? And you find that the reason why God is um, focusing, like if you've got a camera, it's because God's people are in a certain position throughout time, throughout these kingdoms. And God wants us to have a mindset whilst these things are going on. But if you get caught up so much on let's study the beast and you don't look at the Christ, you, you miss the entire point of why God is trying to tell you these things. And what we find a lot of the times people get excited about prophecy, but they miss the Christ in all of these things. What is God trying to tell you? How can you prepare? Because at the time of Babylon, God was trying to tell God's people, this is going to take place because you've been disobedient to me. Go to Babylon. But a lot of them said, no, we're not going to know Babylon. And where were they at the time? A lot of them got killed. Um, the kings got their eyes gorged out. They were captured and recaptured and recaptured. 
And I remember someone saying that even God's people showed um, Alexander the Great that this, you were prophesied in the Bible. So you are only being allowed to do this because God is allowing you to do what you're doing. So you see that God is not in, God is, is not, not in control because God is saying, I'm allowing this to happen because I am trying to work something out for you. I'm trying to show you the evilness of the world. I'm trying to create my character in you. But if you miss the point, you will start focusing on the wrong thing. Your camera will be turned on something else whilst the action is elsewhere. So I, I like what you said about the missing, you know, there's a danger of missing Christ. But there's something that I want to say, you know, there's a lot of people that, that you know, why was there a lot of people, but I've heard people say, oh, you know, we preach too much prophecy and we're not focusing on Christ. Um, I don't think the two can be separated because John 14, 29, Jesus was quite clear in saying that he tells us things before they take place so that when we see it happen, we can believe. Um, it's about making sure that Jesus is lifted up in every message that's, that's mm -hmm. spoken. And Daniel 7 God would not have gone into so much detail via Daniel if it wasn't important for us. Amen. If worship, as we see in Revelation 13, was not going to be an issue. The whole issue of worship was the, with the temptations with Jesus. So this issue of worship, God's told us through prophecy it's going to happen. And he's given us all of the way marks to see how. But when we, when we see it happen... That's where I need to find myself on my knees. And before I see it happen, I need to be on my knees anyway. Um, coming to Christ, seeing Jesus lifted up. But there's this thing that's mentioned that, you know, a time times and a dividing of a time. There's the saints speaking of a judgment that's happening. Um, could maybe some of you just touch on that? What's a time times and a dividing of time? And what's this, uh, this importance of the saints in a judgment? Why is that brought to view? Well, uh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> okay, um, well, for the time, times and half a time, we see this uh, time repeated in the Bible in so many places, um, in, the ter in terms of literal days and in terms of, um, <clears throat> sorry, a, a day representing a year. So, uh, the first time, well, not it's, not it's not even the first time. Um, one one prominent time where we hear about you know time times and half a time as a literal time would be in the time of Elijah when he tells Ahab that you know it's not going to rain for three and a half years. So now why am I saying time times and a half a time is equated to three and a half years? Because a time would represent a year, times on there would represent two years, then half a time would represent half a year. So here Elijah was telling him, you know what, three and a half years, for three and a half years, you will not have rain. And you also have uh, a three and a half years used literally as well, even in the time of Christ, his ministry was three and a half years long. And, mm. and a half years from the time of his death and resurrection to the time of the closing of the probation for, for Israel as a theocracy. Um, you also have it mentioned in, in Revelation uh, chapter chapter 13 
as 42 months. So 42 months, if you calculate how many years that is, it counts up to three and a half years. So when we read, um, when we read uh, here where it says, uh, where it talks about time, times and a half a time, it's the time that the, the, this horrible beast, undescribable beast is given to actually rule and oppress the saints of God or allowed to oppress the saints of God. Mm-hmm. And it's only after that time, times and half a time when um, the other things start happening as, I think as you just mentioned now, um, uh, a judgment, but I don't know whether the judgment was the question that you asked or this judgment is the beginning of the investigative judgment, which happens after the time, times and a half a time is finished already. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's let's thank you for the explanation, Wilson. Let's let's look at what's happening with the judgment. Why have the saints suddenly come to view um, when when we're reading Daniel seven? Um, because I'd like to take some time to delve. I want us to get over to Revelation thirteen shortly. So why why is the mention of this judgment taking place? And you know, thrones are being set down, judgments given to the saints. Um, there's a thousand times a thousand and a thousand and thousands of thousands who are before um, this 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 um before god what's all happening there what what is that all about because that's uh, repeated a few times in daniel 7. um what i do find is like in daniel 2 what you do find is that god would set up his kingdom um so what we find in daniel 7 is god expanding on how he's setting up his kingdom so god doesn't set up his kingdom in the way that the um the lion of of babylon does it they do it through war god doesn't do it that way god does it through the judgment scene through um the investigative judgment he does it through looking at your character and seeing, do you fit in my kingdom? And the investigative judgment is that process that God does that in order to set up his kingdom. So that's the reason why he's bringing in the saints and the kingdom. Um, That's why it says that um, in verse um, nine and 10, um, where it says, um, I watched till thrones were put in place. The ancient of day, days did see it, of Daniel 7. His garment was white as snow. His hair of his head was as pure wool. His, thro- his throne was as fiery flames. So you're getting a description of God. And then he goes on to say, a fiery stream issued and come forth from before him. And thousands and thousands ministered unto him. We also see in Hebrews 1 that is angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of the kingdom so what we do find is god bringing together the view of how he's going to set up his kingdom and if we know how he's going to set up his kingdom and what characteristics are required then we will be able to discern how we could be involved in his kingdom I think also just to add to what you just said to Shana, Acts 24, verse 24 and 25. I hear Paul is before um, 
uh, Felix. And Paul here, and, and, and it is written, Acts chapter 24, verse 24 and 25, it says, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time, for I have, for I have a convenient season. I will call for thee. So here, Paul, when he was saying, when he says judgment to come, it means that, you know, at the time of someone's death, that is not when they were judged. Judgment was a specific time that was to come in the future. Now, what time in the future does it come? So I, I think that's, that's probably uh, quite important as well, because now we see in Revelation chapter 14, which is just after Revelation chapter 13, where in verse 6 and verse 7, um, verse 7, where it says, uh, with a love, and, and it says, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So now when it says that, it says, who do you tell to fear God and to give glory to him when the hour of judgment is come? Which means the hour of judgment comes whilst people are still having an opportunity to fear God and give glory to him. So I think that is very, very, very important. Like, you know, a judgment does not come when or does not start when the earth finishes or like the time on earth finishes. It starts whilst people are still here on earth, which is the reason why there's a command to fear God and give glory to him. So, and I believe that is the judgment that is pointed to in uh, Daniel chapter 7. If, if I may, uh, it's very interesting if I, if I may uh, approach it from another angle. Uh, going back to the 1260, uh, here God allows this, this kingdom, this power to reign supreme for 1,260 years, and God only confines it to 1,260 years. Imagine if this supreme, if this power was to reign forever, you know? And so God only limits the, 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 the power to reign for 1,260 years. Why? I wanna introduce another concept, and that is the great controversy. We must remember that there's a controversy going on. And so, and so God has been accused his character is, is, has been accused from Satan from the very beginning. And so this 1,260 years is God allowing this power to reign supreme for 1,260 years so that the world and the universe can know the nature of this power, uh -huh. the, 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 this Roman power. And so when we look back at the 1,260 years, we can see, hey, this power, if given all of eternity, will reign using force, will reign using uh, persecution, will reign using not the Bible, but tradition, will reign using the, 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 the traditions of man and not the word of God. And so we can look back and say, hey, you know what? If the church of Rome were to reign today, this is what it's gonna look like. It's gonna look like the dark ages. And so praise God that he only, he only limited to 1,260 years. So it's, got, it's kind of like God saying, okay, I've given you 1,260 years to reveal your nature if you were to rule the world. This is what it's going to look like. Oh, it's going to look like oh. the dark ages. And to be honest, we kind of see that happening today. You know, 
um, when this when this beast is wounded and it's going to rule the world again, it's going to rule the world like it did during the 1260 years. Then once we get to 1844, onwards to the second coming of Jesus, we see a contrast. We see God saying, okay, watch this. Watch how I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to raise up a people. I'm going to raise up a people who will keep the commandments and have the, 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 the faith of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to use tradition. I'm not going to use persecution. I'm not going to use force. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to use, I'm going to use choice. Now, one of the things that we must, we must remember when it comes to judgment, judgment is a good thing when you're being falsely accused. Mm-hmm. You see, mm-hmm. judgment is good news when you've been falsely accused because judgment just simply means vindication. It means clearing up your name. Look, God has been falsely accused for 6,000 years that his law cannot be kept, that his law is arbitrary, that his character is a character of false. And so from 1844 to the second coming of Jesus, God's nature, God's character has been vindicated. You know, it has been, um, it has, his name has been cleared up. So God is simply saying, look, my law can be kept. My law is not a law of arbitrary. My law is a law of love. Look, here are my people. Here's 144,000 of them. They keep my law, not because I'm arbitrary, but because I'm a God of love. And so through the 144,000, God's name is being vindicated. That false accusation from the beginning of time has been been demolished. Now, the 144,000, they don't vindicate the character and the name of God in their own power. It's through the power and the grace of God. That, that, that his name has been cleared. And so that's what we see from the period of 1844 to the second coming of Jesus. We see a period of God's name being cleared up. How? Through a people, through 144,000 people that clear up the name of God, not in their own strength, but through the grace and the power of God. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus because God's name has been accused right from the very beginning. Mm, thank you so much for that. I wanted to 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 bring to the the table Daniel seven twenty two. Um, until the ancient of days came, you know, there's when you read verse twenty one, and I beheld the same horn made dwell with the saints and prevailed against them, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Um, just before we go over to Revelation thirteen. What does it mean to have judgment given to the saints of the Most High? Uh, can I come in on this one? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I used to ponder on that verse a lot. Um, and there's probably still some other school of thought, schools of thought on it. And please do come in if you think it's something else. But I will, I from what I see on there, and when you get other you know, versions or something like that. So for example, in New King James Version says, judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And then the King James Version says, judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And I don't know what other versions say and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to say one version is better than the other in any way. But where I see this here, I believe that when I read this, it is talking about the judgment that is given to the saints 
in heaven after the second coming of Christ, after he has come to get them and after he is um, uh, they are now in heaven. Because when you read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2 and verse 3, you have uh, Paul uh, talking uh, to the people in, well, he's in one of his letters. And then he says to them, well, don't you? because they were having matters which they could not judge themselves. And he's saying, don't you know that you shall judge angels? And don't you know that you shall, you shall, you shall, or you shall judge the world? So now uh, I got this from um, Great Controversy, chapter, chapter 40. But anyway, it's Great Controversy, page 660. And I think it's very, very important for me to read this because this then solidified my point on, on this. Uh, and it and it says, um, Great Controversy, page 660, paragraph 4. And it says, during the thousand years, the first and second resurrection, the judgment of the wicked takes place. The Apostle Paul points to this judgment as an event that follows the second advent. Judge nothing before his time until the Lord who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. First Corinthians 4 verse 5. And then she goes on to say, Daniel declares that when the ancient of days came, judgment was given to the saints. And then she calls Daniel 7 verse 22, the one we're discussing now. He says, at this time, the righteous reign as kings and priests unto God. John, the Re John, the Revel oh, John in the Revelation says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them were, uh, was given unto them and they shall be priests of God and Christ and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 4 and 6. I won't read the rest of the paragraph, but I just wanted to read that part as well, um, where it points to Daniel chapter 7, verse 22. So someone else might have something else. I do not know. Uh, but I'm, I'm open to someone else who might say something. I mean, are there any other points on that? Or let's go over to Revelation 13. Um, Revelation 13, uh, thanks Wilson for the explanation as well. Um, Revelation 13, you've got, you've got John verse one opens with him standing on the, the sea and he sees this beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads, um, 10 horns, upon his horns, 10 crowns and upon his heads, the names of blasphemy. And then the description of the beast, you've got verse two and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. That's one of the things that we're seeing there because it's a composite beast. But what, what do we see there? What, what stands out for you? Um, one of the things that stand out for me is that um, when a kingdom takes over another one, it doesn't... Um, completely get rid of everything that that kingdom has. It adapts it to its own um, ways. I noticed that um, the way that Revelation describes it, um, it's in um, ascending, descending order. It's the reverse, basically. So in, in Daniel, it's like um, lion, bear, leopard ugly beast <laughs> um in this one you find he's saying the beast 
but it's an amalgamation um, of the, it says he has leopard, it's like a leopard, um, feet like the feet of a bear. And then it goes on um, to say a mouth like a lion. So you find that there are certain characteristics of those kingdoms that it chooses to adopt. And therefore it makes it the beast that it is. And that's what um, Pastor Douglas Noah was talking about when he was saying that it was, it, it had a, adapted things of all the other kingdoms. So that's what I find. I find that it's, it is not just itself, it has taken on characteristics. So when it says it speak like the lion, you find that in, in the book of Daniel, you find that it forces worship. Um, the issue of worship comes up where it says you must do this or else we will kill you. And it's the same traits that it takes on. Um, so the other aspect could be brought up by others, but those are some of the things I see. Mm, mm, mm. One another again again we see the 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 theme of conquering um, even when we get to the book of Revelation chapter thirteen and this is really important because um, in contrast to the second beast um, the second beast didn't come into the scene through conquering um, but you know it came up out of the earth you know here the Bible says that this beast came out of many waters. It, it came, uh, it came in, in a place where there was a lot of people, a uh, highly populated area, and uh, it, it conquered its way into the scene. And, and so again, again, this, 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 it, we see a spirit of force and conquering uh, being mentioned here. And this is very important to note, because this is, this is not Christ. You know, God, Jesus is not a God of, Jesus is not a a God of force and a, and a God of conquering. Jesus is a God of love and a God of choice. And there's no, there's, there's, there's a reason why this is referred to as the Antichrist because it stands in contrast to the nature and the power of the land, to the nature and the power of Christ. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. So what, what does it mean, names of blasphemy? That, that's one of the, the marks on this, you know, this beast that's there. Names of blasphemy, what's, what's that all about? Well, one thing that we see when we open uh, Mark chapter 2, um, Mark chapter 2, verse uh, 7 onwards, um, here we see uh, from verse 1, it talks about uh, uh, Jesus being crowded in the house and then a, and no one could enter that house and the paralytic comes and because they could not enter the house through the doors, they had to put the paralytic through the roof and uh, so that the paralytic could be healed. And then from verse 7 onwards, uh, or rather from verse 5 onwards, and it says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the people who lowered the paralytic through the roof, says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Verse 6, but, but when certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their heart, and reasoning in their hearts, why do this man... Thus speak blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? Sure. So here, the scribes were perceiving that Jesus was not God. Sure. So by if you if a person rightly perceives, I'm, here they were wrongly perceiving, obviously. 
But if you rightly perceive that someone is not God, then you can rightly ask the question that, you know, why is this person blaspheming? So now when you see this power being associated with names of blasphemy, believe, I believe that number one, this power claims to do what, what only God can do. That's in this instance, to forgive sins. And we've seen this happen even today, uh, that this power claims to forgive sins. In that day, in that day, in the dark ages, not only did they claim to forgive sins, you know, via, you know, penance and all these things, but also you could go and buy sins through indulgences. It's, it, it, you, it, it's, it's something that is, that takes away the place of God. So it makes that entity an antichrist or put that entity be, comes in and puts themselves in place of Christ to try to forgive the sins of the people. And we see that system is the one way by you go in and then you go to, to a priest and then you say like, oh, father, I've sinned. You know, when you're talking to a mere human being who just goes to the toilet just the same as you do and I do, it's just like, no, it's a human being. You know, mm. your sins, you are only forgiven by God according to First John 1 verse 9. Mm. Thank you. Um, Lydia, I saw, I saw your hand. I just wanted to add to that in terms of it's not just about you claiming to forgive sins. And it talks about in John 10 about you claiming to be God as well. So in terms of the biblical definition of blasphemy, from what I understand, um, it's claiming to forgive sins and also claiming to be God from what I can see from scripture. And also to add to what Pastor Douglas was saying beforehand, um, in terms of the characteristics of Jesus, I think we also have to recognise that when Jesus comes back, he's not coming or airy-fairy. He's not going to come silently and he's not going to come um, in, you know, sunshine. There's going to be, there's going to be thunder. There's going to be, like, it's going to be loud. And so it's not that Jesus isn't a conqueror. It's more so that with these beasts and the revelation in terms of revelation 13 when we talk about this beast that's an amalgamation it has the ide ideologies which people have spoken about from the previous empires whereas mm. jesus he establishes his kingdom that's com completely different because he doesn't have those ideologies so it's not that he's not a conqueror in the same way well not in the same capacity but it's more so that the way he establishes his kingdom is just different so I just wanted to kind of add to that to make sure that we all like emphasize the fact that although the way that God sets up his kingdom and runs his kingdom is very different in terms of his principles, Jesus isn't kind of airy-fairy, like he's still gonna do what he has to do. He's still the big boss at the end of the day. So I just wanted to kind of add to what had been said. One of the things that's uh, very interesting about Revelation chapter 13 is that this beast is deceptive. Uh, it, it doesn't use the word deception, but it's, it's, it's strongly implied because this beast of power counterfeits another beast. And that beast is the Lamb of God. And so this beast power must be understood that it stands as a counterfeit to Jesus and, 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 and the ministry of Jesus. There's a quote, there's a quote I remember uh, in the book, Great Controversy, and it's just coming to my mind, we had to, to memorize it. It goes something like this. 
The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. And then she says in the book, Great Controversy, so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except through the Holy Scriptures. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true. And so here we see a system that is a counterfeit that resembles the true. That if, that, if, that if our minds are not fortified with the word of God, we're going to think that this counterfeit is the real deal, that this counterfeit is the source of salvation. We're going to think that this counterfeit is Jesus himself. And so, and, so what, and, and so what I see here is that I see here a counterfeit system that, that tries to be like Jesus, that, that counterfeits like Jesus. And I'll give you a few examples. I think it was this on this platform uh, some months ago, I mentioned this, but, but, but let me give you a, 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 few, a few characteristics where this counterfeit resembles Christ. Number one, it comes up out of the water. Now, there's a description of Jesus being baptized coming up out of the water, too. Number two, the Bible says that this beast was wounded. Jesus was wounded. Okay? And then the Bible says here that this beast is healed and he comes back to life. After Jesus was wounded, he resur he's resurrected and comes back to life. This beast power here rules for three and a half years. Symbolic years. We know that Jesus, his ministry was three and a half literal years before he was wounded. So again, we see these parallels, this, this beast power, um, you know, wanting to be like Christ. And so, and so again, we see deception just written all over this beast oh. power, wanting to be like Jesus so closely will the counterfeit resemble the truth that if, that if our minds are not fortified with the word of God, we won't be able to distinguish between the both. I wanted to also talk about the nature of, um, because it says Satan works through these, 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 um, these powers. And you find that as the great controversy, as we talked about previously is being brought to view, you can see the jealousy, the hatred for Christ in these acts because it's the same thing he hated christ in heaven and this all great controversy started because of this very same hatred for christ so you find that he would completely annihilate christ if he could but he can't so what does he do his main motive is to get worship and that's what he saw for in the beginning and that's what he consistently has sought for throughout time and that's what he's aiming for so what we do find is that he, all of these deception is so that he can get worship that's why he's putting himself in place of christ that's why there is a counterfeit because he wants to have worship and and that's his main motive and has been his motive throughout throughout time yeah, I think okay. uh, one more thing as well, just on that, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think embodies what everyone has just said. Um, Instead of reading it, Wilson, could you just give a breakdown? Because we've yeah. got to start wrapping up soon. Sure, sure. Um, and we, 
it does talk about you know that this this entity opposes God and exalts itself above God such that it sits as God in the temple of God showing itself as as God and you know when you read uh, onward you know verse 7 verse 8 uh, onwards you see that um the um yeah it is it it's, it's satan is the one that gives it gives it gives it power when you read on verse 8 it says and then the wicked shall, shall be revealed whom the lord will consume with the spirit uh, with the spirit of his mouth so you see that in the end that that the lord jesus christ wins because this entity is destroyed in the end to show who the real God is. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So we we transition over. There's there's this, uh, Lydia, you mentioned before um, that we we understand this to be the papacy, and there's there's information there. There's the blasphemy. There's the points that have been mentioned. Then there's a transition over to the second beast in Revelation 13. Um, who who's this beast? The second beast. What do the two horns stand for? And what does it mean to be speaking as a dragon? So from my understanding, the second beast um, in Revelation 13 is America. So we had um, the papacy kind of established in Daniel chapter 7 and the beginning of Revelation 13 as that little horn power and the head of the beast being wounded. So we take that as in 1798, um, Pope Pius VI was um, taken into captivity um, during the role. Oh, I feel like, can everyone still hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, was taken into captivity under the reign of Napoleon. So we take that as that's when the deadly wound happened in terms of the beast and the papacy. And then we have to think about what happened, like what power was present at this time. So we know that the second beast of Revelation 13 came up, for, as Pastor Douglas said, from the earth. So it came from a sparsely populated area. It didn't come up in the same way that the first beast did. The only power to actually function and kind of exist at the same time, coming from a sparsely populated time, um, was America. And the reason why it talks about it seeming like a lamb was because the ideology and the vision of the United States was it's supposed to be the land of the free basically what Jesus is telling us that he can give us freedom and that he can give us a life of that luxury and you know he can give us everlasting life and and all the benefits and this second power is almost replicating that or trying to but as it speaks as a dragon what you're seeing is its true colors and as we've spoken about before Satan is the dragon um and that's spoken about in Revelation chapter 12 and throughout revelation we see we see that satan is this dragon and so what we've got with this power is that although it appears to be like a lamb offering freedom and offering the benefits that jesus himself would offer in actual fact is the devil working through this power okay thank you for that explanation Lydia. um so we know that that neck that that second kingdom that came up we understand that to represent america Pastor Doug, I want to put you on on the spot right now. I mean, you're you're over there. Um, the horns, the, the speaking as a dragon, is it something that it, it will speak as, or is is it yet to happen, or or is it something that that's present now? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question, isn't it? Um, you know, traditionally, traditionally, we, uh, in, in, our, in our prophetic evangelistic meetings, we've always pointed future to saying that it will speak like a dragon. But recently, you know, with, with the discussions of what's happening in America now with the, these race issues, um, information has come out uh, th that there has been some quotes from our pioneers saying that even in their time, uh, the dragon was speaking like uh, this. This this uh, this America was speaking like a dragon even in their time. So 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 we see that this concept of speaking like a dragon has been ongoing, um, and of course it's going to it's going to climax at a point where it will it will in, it will enforce a law to to um, you know to, to worship the mark of the beast. But what's very, very interesting here with this beast power in Revelation chapter 13 is we see a change in its nature. Oh. Um, and, and, so, and so that's, I believe, I believe that what we're seeing today is a change in the nature of, of, of the United States of America, that it once stood on, on, on principles of Christianity. And we're starting to see that, we're starting to see that. I think one of the uh, one of the best ways for the best ways how should i put this let me just put it straight you know ellen white tells us that one of, one of the signs before uh, the second coming of jesus is she says that that uh, every uh, that, that the constitution of the united states of america will be repudiated uh, that that's one you know so a lot of times we look at the signs we look at the stars you know we look at church, church and state coming together but but we need to look at the constitution and, I, and, and what we see today is that we see that the, the, the Constitution is going to be a document that will no longer be followed, you know? Um, oh. and, so, and so we see, we see that being repudiated um, um, even today. So, there's, so basically the point I'm trying to make here is that there definitely is a change in the nature of this beast, that it once was like a lamb, but now it's speaking like a dragon. Okay, thank you, thank you so much. Shana, no, no, make your point, but quickly, and we've got about five minutes, and I just want to wrap up with some, some other questions. I was just going to uh, point out um, or emphasize the fact that America speaks through its legislations and its policies, um, and you find that at the start of it, it's talk about it has a mouth like a mouth of a lion, and it's that same mouth that it's using in order to control the, the masses. It speaks through the policies that it enforces. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. So um, just for those that, that are interested, next week we will be talking about America in Bible prophecy. So we'll be, we'll be delving deeper into that and how the, I think that's where we'll probably delve into how the deception will be played out on what's happening over there right now as well. Um, so do look out for that next week, um, same time next week. But in closing, how can this information be important for us today? How personally for that, the, the person who's watching, the individual who's watching right now, why is this information important? I think the first thing is, um... The information is coming from the book of Revelation. And Revelation chapter one at the beginning 
shows that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's the message coming from Jesus Christ himself that makes it the most important message. And that means we ought to listen to the message and take heed of the message. It's a message of the heart. So I believe that the reason, I mean, the reason it is important is because it's coming from Jesus Christ himself. It makes it important. Um, one of the things that I, I got caught up, I said at the, I got, I got distracted in studying this. And it's because of this text where it says, I have told you these things before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And the other text that says, I am E, that you may believe that I am E. And I was thinking, what do you mean I am E? And I got back to Genesis in studying it, where, where it says, go and tell my people that I am the I am. Um, and that's what brought to view that God was speaking to his people who was in the worst situation ever. Um, and he's like, my message to you is that I am in control that I exist, that you are not going through these things. And I'm, si I'm sitting here thinking, I wish my people weren't gonna be, gonna be oppressed by these powers. God was saying, I am in control of this situation. So what can I take away? That when these things are taking place, don't think that I'm not in control. I am in control. I am allowing it to take place for your benefit. And I remember the Bible talking about gold tried in the fire. The only way you can have my character is if you went through the same thing that I went. And that's what it says. When you see these things come to pass, believe me, because you're no greater than your master. I went through it. You're going to go through it. But the difference is, is that I am going to be with you throughout the entire situation. And, and I am in control. So know that I am working out your salvation by those things. Not you're working out your salvation. I am working out your salvation. So let it be. Let it, let, let it have it perfect work. Let me, uh, let me refine you and make you ready for my kingdom. That's what God is saying. Oh, thank the, you, thank you. The beautiful thing that I take away from this, again, just bringing in the love in the great controversy motif. There are two contending forces going on and they're contending over you. And here's the fact of the matter. You only contend for something that has value. You only fight for something that has value. If, something does, if something's not of value for me, I'm not wasting my time contending over it. The fact that God is contending with Satan, he's not, he's not contending over a building, he's not contending over a policy, he's contending over a people. And the fact that God is going to war, he's going to, he's going to war over your soul because he sees value in you. The fact that God is contending for you is he sees value. And that value connects, is not, is not based on my talents or my gifts. That's not what gives me value. What gives me value is the fact that Jesus died on the cross and I'm covered with his blood. That's the reason why God is contending for us. That's the reason why God is fighting for us. And so this battle, the great controversy, is not just, yeah, it's a, it, no, no, no. 
It's he's fighting over a people. He's fighting over a people that has value. And so God values you. God loves you because you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And your value is not based on the fact of how well you sing, how well you preach, how much money you have, how many clothes you wear, and what kind of food you eat. Those things are great. But your value is, is based on the fact that you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And that's worth fighting for. That's worth going over battle over. And that's what I love about the battle of the great controversy. Amen. 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 Uh, Lydia, did you have any closing thoughts that you wanted to share? I think that's perfect way to end. I can't really say anything more than that. I think that's a beautiful thing to end on. And just, we're living in the period of the ten toes, effectively. And God's coming back. We've got time. We still, you know, sealing work is still happening. But don't take that for granted. And I think that's just a reminder to myself as well that God really is calling for us. So there's no better time than present to fix up and to ask him for his guidance. Thank you so much. I want to say thank you, Pastor Doug, um, Tashana, Lydia, Wilson, for being able to be part of this panel tonight. It's been a privilege as we've dis discussed, and I think quite briefly, we've only been able to discuss Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. There's so much more that we can glean from those, those verses. Again, I'd leave that verse with everybody who's watching. Um, John 14, verse 29. And he tells us things before they take place so that when we see it happen, we can believe. Um, so take hope in the scriptures. The aim is that through prophecy, we should see Jesus lifted up and drawn, and we should be drawn closer to him, especially as we draw closer to the day when we're about to see him face to face. There's not much time left now, but the time that we do have, I think we need to redeem the time, as the Bible says, and um, make, make the most of every moment. In closing, um, I'll ask Tashana if you could just say a word of prayer to close for us. And um, then I'll just share some points, some uh, um, announcements for tomorrow. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, we are reminded that you are in control and that you love us, Lord, that you will not spend your time on valueless things. Lord, we are of value because your son died for us. And I pray, Lord, that everyone that will listen um, to this video will come to an understanding of your character and of your character of love that you, you desire to give to every single one of us. Lord, help us as we study the scripture to have the mind of Christ. Help us to study in humility and in faith and always be connected to you so that we can see what you're trying to say to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.